If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Blue Talks. My life has come full circle, and I'm so excited to share um, this little tidbit with all of you. So for those of you who weren't here yesterday, Corey had trivia, and he gave prizes. And the prize that I won is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. <laughs> and I was sharing this with Laura last night, my daughter, how emotional it is for me to have had this happen yesterday. And I'm going to share why it's so emotional and how powerful life is. And when synchronicity happens, you definitely need to pay attention. I found myself out of gas in a 1978 Volkswagen Beetle on a dirt road in rural Georgia at the age of 18. It was a gorgeous Sunday, and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna get out and drive. I had a lot on my mind. I was in college, I had just started school. I was living with an abusive mother, and just so you know, child abuse does not end once you become an adult. Things were rough. And the other thing that was rough was that my gas gauge was broken. And I rarely ever re seemed to remember that. So I was out in the middle of nowhere and my car ran out of gas. So I was like, okay, you know, it's 1984, there are no cell phones. And um, I thought, you know, I'm just gonna hang out for a little bit and just see if I can figure this out. I knew that the gas station was probably an hour or more walk to get to. So I'm sitting on the side of the road, one hour, two hours. And then it was about the third hour. I'm thinking, I need to start walking. The sun's gonna go down. I'm gonna be in big trouble when this pickup truck comes barreling toward me and Hank Williams Jr. was playing very, very loud, and his hair was this big, thick, full amazingness. And he stopped and was like, hey, darling, what's going on? And I said, well, I ran out of gas. And he's like, well, I can help you. So he gave me the option of leaving me there and going to the gas station or taking me with him. And I thought, I'm gonna go. And we never spent a day apart after that. It was love at first sight, it was love at first conversation, and it was genuine love. There was no love bombing, there was no 
narcissism. It was just truly love at first sight. And things were rocking and rolling. The next thing I knew, I had an engagement ring on my finger. We had a date picked out. Um, his parents were semi-reluctant because I moved in with him. Um, he had his own house. He was nine years older than me. So he had his own business, his own house, um, three cars, which I never even understood at that time um, why you need three cars when you're only driving one at a time. But he had three vehicles. Um, and we were on this trajectory of normal. And it was the first time in my life that I had ever felt normal. And I was drinking it up like a thirsty man at the well. Then I was sitting in the library one day and I thought, where is my period? Not my class period, <laughs> my physical period. And I opened up my little calendar and I started looking through and I'm like, oh no, 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 no. This cannot be happening, this cannot be happening, this cannot be happening. And I went home and I was just so terrified. My bubble was bursting intuitively. I could, I could feel it to the core of my soul. So the next morning, I got pregnancy test. And instead of going to school, I went back home. And all five of them were positive. And I sunk to the floor. And I'm just, this cannot happen right now. So when my fiance got home later that night, I was like, we, we have a problem. We have a big, big, big problem. And he was like, we'll never have a problem. What's going on? And when I told him we're pregnant, he picked me up, tossed me around, was just like so excited. And he's like, oh my gosh, in the morning, we celebrated with waffles. It's a long story I won't get into, but the next morning he was like, we're gonna go celebrate with waffles. And we were telling everybody, everybody, our, our waitress, the manager, they all knew us. We were there almost every single morning. And we're telling them all, like, we're expecting a baby. We're, we're so excited. The next day, we went to his parents' house for Sunday supper, as we call it in the South. And we announced at the table that I was pregnant. His father stood up and said, no, 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 my son doesn't marry a whore. This is not gonna happen. He went into his office, came out with a check, and said, I don't care what the amount is, fill it in, but you're, you're aborting this baby, and I'm not gonna hear another word about it. I'm a freezer, it's what I do. Fight, flight, or freeze, I freeze. So I didn't say a word, I just went along with it. And when we got home, I was like, you know, I, I don't think I can do that. Um, not that I'm against it, I just, we were in love and that was not part of the plan. So I was like, I just, I don't think I can do it. And he was like, you can do this. It'll be better if you do this. 
our lives will be able to start over. It'll be a clean slate. It's going to be fine. So the next day, I called an abortion clinic, and a few days later, I was on the abortion table, and the nurse was like, in a few moments, Allison, I'm going to ask you to start counting backwards, and um, I'll wake you up when it's over. You'll see me in the recovery room. And she was like, 10, 9, and I just yanked the IV out of my arm. I probably could have just said, I don't want to do this, but I tend to be a little dramatic. So I ripped the IV out of my arm. There was blood going everywhere. I ran to my car. I went home. I lied. I told my fiance that I'd had an abortion. And then a few weeks later, morning sickness set in. And I found myself on the bathroom floor. I felt his hands hold my hair up, twisted it, put it in a hair tie, put a wet cloth on the back of my neck, and was like, Allison, I, I knew that you didn't have an abortion. You've been too okay. And it's okay that you lied to me, and I totally forgive you. It's a, we're, we're scared. We don't know what's happening right now. And I told him, it's not so much that I don't want to have it, the abortion that is. It's not so much that I don't want to have an abortion. I just want to start my life with you. I just wanted to start my life with him so desperately. So we had a big decision to make. Keep it secret, get married, tell everyone later, oh, by the way, haha, we didn't do it, or tell the truth. And we had already decided that one lie was too many. So a few days later, we saw his parents. They came over for dinner, and we told them that we didn't have the abortion. Now, Billy came in the house and told me that everything was fine, that his dad was fine. So I went to school the next day. When I came home, they had changed the locks, and all of my stuff was outside. I drove a 1978 Volkswagen. I don't know if you've ever been inside of a 1978 Volkswagen, but they're very, very small. And I had a lot of stuff. So I put what I could in my car. I drove to the same place where he had taken me to fill up my car with gas for the first time. I found a payphone, and I called my abusive mother and told her that I needed to come home. And she loved that so much. Allison had lost again, which is what she lived for. So I went to my home, woke up every day, went to school, went to work, went home, Meanwhile, I'm like, you can only have this for so long. <laughs> That's the thing about pregnancy. It's like the truth. So I was throwing up, and my mother figured out. She put two and two together. And narcissists have this thing that they do. 
and they love to copy the behavior of other horrible people. They see it as a way to exert the most power over you. And so I went to school and came home and the locks had been changed. Except this time, all of my things were in the house instead of outside. So I had the clothes on my back, a dollar and 79 cents to my name, 10 meals left on my meal card at school, a half a tank of gas, a blanket, because my dad always taught me to carry a blanket in the car, a flashlight, and my car keys. I sat in the driveway of my childhood home for about an hour and a half, screaming at God. And when, when I tell you screaming, I was screaming at the top of my lungs. Why are you doing this? I don't understand. I don't understand what's happening right now. Why, if it's so important for me to terminate this pregnancy, why can't I just go to a clinic and terminate the pregnancy? Why won't you just let me do that? It was a feeling so deep in my core to stay pregnant. And this isn't about pro-choice or pro-life. This is about intuition. My intuition was screaming at me, stay pregnant, stay. And it didn't make any sense. So finally, I was just like, you know what, you win. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. People often hear this story and say, well, why didn't you just call your father? Because he was an alcoholic and dysfunctional and lived two hours away from campus, downtown Atlanta, Georgia. And if you know Atlanta, you know it has traffic. So it wasn't really two hours. It was more like three if you throw traffic in there. So I couldn't, I couldn't call him. It didn't make any sense. I would have had to quit school, which was something I was not going to do. So I heard this voice inside of me. Allison, drive to campus. Find the warmest spot in the parking garage that you can find and go to sleep. So that's what I did. Because one thing I've learned, and one thing I even knew at the young age of 19 at that time, was that when you hear intuition, you follow it. You obey. Because it means something. It's a guiding post for the next amazing thing that's going to happen, even if it makes absolutely no sense. So I drove to the parking garage, and I parked. And I woke up the next morning, and I was freezing. It was 11 degrees outside. It was the coldest winter still on record in Atlanta. I went inside school. I remember the janitor was the first person to greet me. And I thought, oh my God, I just, I need a hug. And I was like, can I, can, can I hug you? And he was like, sure, okay. And we embraced and I was like, thank you so much. And he was like, are you all right? I was like, yeah, I'm great. Because I was always, yeah, great, I'm great. 
I'm great. I'm better than great. I went to school, went to the library, studied, went to my car, slept, showered, same dirty clothes back on, class, library, car, sleep, shower, same dirty clothes, grab a biscuit out of the trash can, eat the rest of it, car, sleep, shower, dirty clothes back on, they had urine on them, they had vomit on them, go to class, grab food out of the trash can, go to my car, go to sleep. The 10th or 12th day, I was in the library, and my professor always, the substitute professor we had, he wore the most amazing shoes. And I'm sitting there, and I see his amazing shoes coming, and I'm like, he's going to say something to me like, you can't come to class, you smell. He's going to say something to me like, why are there black circles under your eyes? Are you on drugs? Instead, what he said to me was, I've been thinking a lot about you, and I think you should read this book. It's called Think and Grow Rich. And I looked up at him, and I was like, <laughs> rich. And he's like, the richness of your soul, Allison. <coughs> soul. Hmm. Okay, sure. So I remember going to my car, and I pulled the book out. The very first page that I ever turned to said, take personal inventory. I don't like to read books from cover to cover. I read them randomly. I'm weird like that. And I was like, personal inventory? What does that even mean? Because here's the thing. When you grow up in an abusive household, nothing is about you. Nothing. It is all about your abuser. You come last, past, last. No one, I had never been asked before, how do you feel? Are you having a good day, bad day? What does life look like for you? Nothing. What do you need? I remember in fourth grade, a girlfriend of mine came over. My parents had just divorced. We had jelly in the refrigerator. Great jelly. Because my mom didn't need to keep food in the refrigerator because all of her dates were buying her dinner. That is how I grew up. So to sit in a Volkswagen, it was very, very cold. I had to face the fact that I was now a thief. I had stolen someone's coat out of the locker room. I had stolen towels from campus. I had stolen gym mats out of the gymnasium. I had stolen someone's gloves that were sitting on a library table. I was a thief. I had to face the fact that I was carrying a human being 
that was not getting vitamins, not getting any kind of medical care whatsoever. And the ironic thing is, is that my whole career started working with battered women and I didn't consider myself battered. Where are the bruises? Where are the cuts? I can't go to a shelter. Those are for battered women. I'm not battered. I'm perfect. I'm great. I'm wonderful. I'm happy. The last day that I was lived in my car, I read about 20 pages of this book. And the beautiful thing about Think and Grow Rich is the basic concept is you have your mind. You may not have anything else, but you have your mind and you're brilliant and you're powerful beyond measure. So I tested it. It's like, all right, Napoleon. I see you and I raise you. I'll cast a bet on you. So I started imagining myself warm, loved, cared for, in a warm bed with new clothes, a warm shower, smelling good, full in my belly. I started imagining myself supported. And it was difficult because I'd never been supported. Billy was the only person who ever had shown me any kind of support. That was my fiance. And it was very short and very temporary and very conditional. So I had to literally use my imagination and feel what it would feel like to finally be in the presence of people who cared something about my life. 11 days and 11 hours later, I thought, well, tonight's the night I'm gonna kill myself because this isn't working. So I'm gonna kill myself. I didn't know how. I had no means to kill myself. I didn't have pills, I didn't have a gun, didn't have a knife, nothing. But I thought, well, I mean, I could climb up to the top of Peachtree Plaza and jump off. Then I hear this. And I thought, oh, great, another, another homeless guy is gonna offer me money for sex and I'm gonna say no again. <clears throat> and then I'm gonna lie here in my car and be terrified. But no, nope, it was my thinking grow rich professor. And he said, I told my wife that I thought you might die in your car tonight. And I was like, well, that's ironic. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're gonna freeze to death if you stay here. So follow me home. I said, I can't follow you home. I ran out of gas weeks ago trying to stay warm. And he was like, Allison, you can either stay here and try and figure this out on your own 
or you can get in my truck and come home with me where my wife is waiting for you with a grilled cheese sandwich and soup. So I climbed in his truck and I went home with him and his wife was lovely and she was waiting for me, just like you said, grilled cheese sandwich, soup. The part that's so amazing is that I had imagined in the back seat of my car curtains with tiny little flowers on them. And when I walked into their guest bedroom, the exact same curtains that I had been imagining were hanging on the window. And I said, there's something, there's something to this. I share all this with you today because any problem that you have in your life, it's personal. Outside circumstances are always gonna happen. There's always gonna be racism, unfortunately, as sickening as that is. There's always gonna be someone who upsets you. There's always gonna be a recession. There's always, always gonna be a financial boom. There's gonna be war probably somewhere. Maybe you're going through a horrific divorce. Whatever the outside circumstances that's happening with your life, it's not you. It has nothing to do with you. Even if someone looks you straight in your face and says, I hate your guts, it's still not about you. It's about them. I wish I could tell you that life was perfect after that. Billy and I got back together. We had a beautiful son. No. My son was born with physical handicaps, none of which I could do one thing about. I had already made an adoption plan for him long before he was born. And the night that I was supposed to sign the adoption papers in the hospital, I heard a voice. I mean, I was just like, when I tell you I was screaming, I was screaming. I was devastated. And I told God, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to sign the papers. I'm going to walk out of here with him, and I'm going to figure this out. And then I had an image of myself living in the car with him. And I heard a voice, and it was very, very strong. And it said, Allison, if you sign the adoption papers, you'll see your son again. And this was a closed adoption. I knew absolutely nothing about him. His family knew absolutely nothing about me. Our court records to this day are still sealed. But I believed. I chose to believe. I was willing to believe, even though it made no sense. So I signed the adoption papers, and I was medicated because it was the only way I could get out of the hospital. 24 years later, 
I was sound asleep, and if you know anything about me, you know I'm a very sound sleeper. And my whole bed literally felt like it was like an earthquake. That's what it felt like to me. And I heard this voice and it said, it's time. And I knew exactly what it meant. My son and I, that day, faxed our paperwork in at the exact same time to find one another. The receptionist at the adoption center was like, responsible. This 20-year-old, was she was the one responsible for taking the papers off of the fax machine and sorting them, only to see August 9th, August 9th, DeKalb General Hospital, DeKalb General Hospital, 9 a.m., 9 a.m., and she goes running down the hallway, and she says, I think we are experiencing a miracle. And five days later, we were in front of one another. So my message to you today is the outside circumstances in your life, they're not about you. What you think and feel about what's happening in your world is what's driving you. It's what you're making your decisions from. So if you're going through a divorce, if your money story is not what you want it to be, if your career seems to be stuck or blocked, you have your mind. And if you start there, if you start with your mind and you use that mind to empower yourself rather than believe the lies that you continue to tell yourself that you're not good enough, that you'll never be good enough. I promise you that you'll start to see a shift like you have never seen before in your life. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.